How's it going, guys? Since uh, Josh talked some trash about me, I'll talk some trash about him. Um, first lesson I learned about Josh is that um, be careful when you hang out around him because he'll dig up dirt ab about you. I had shown up to that interview he talked about, and he knew stuff about me that I was like, dude, that wasn't on my Facebook. How'd you know that about me? And he's like, oh, I called so-and-so, and I asked him about you. I was like, what the heck? How do you even know that guy? And so he called somebody to get the deets on me before I even showed up to Charlottesville to uh, you know, figure out if I wanted to even live here. Second lesson I learned about Josh, don't ever ask Josh to pick out a place for you to live. Now, you know, <laughs> granted, that might have changed now, but uh, you know, eight years ago, uh, we made the mistake of asking Josh to pick out our apartment. And uh, <laughs> anyway, we, we can hash it out later if you want. But to his defense, he was one of the first people who showed up to help me move all, my, all of our junk into this little tiny basement apartment that we lived in in Charlottesville. Um, a second uh, or third lesson I've learned about Josh is that he's the type of big brother that won't let you forget your mistakes. Uh, like the time that I proposed a failed sermon series title, Granola Jesus, and then he would just make fun of me <laughs> for like the rest of my life. Even recently, like at Salt, I think he brought it up, like Granola Jesus, Rigo, and I was like, thanks, Josh, thanks, you know. But in all honesty, <laughs> I thought it had potential, but you know, there, there you go. Thank you. I appreciate that. You hear that? Times have changed. Um, but also, I would also say the same thing about you, Josh. Josh is also obedient. And let me just say that he, your campus pastors, Josh and Katie, love you guys a lot. They sacrificed the comfort of their own home their own university where they came out of their their lives were transformed there they didn't have to leave but yet they were obedient to what jesus was calling them to do and because of the big vision that they had and have for jmu chi alpha that is why they are here and so i am very privileged and honored to, st to stand here and see the fruit of what so many years of of dreaming and praying and hearing about JMU, it's really an honor for me to be here and just share with you guys a little bit more. But again, your campus pastors love you guys. And so you guys have pretty cool campus pastors. So I'll end at that. If you want to know more, more trash later on, I'll tell you more. But let me talk to you about my family now. Hey, transitions, right? Um, this is my family, Valor, Aurora, my wife, Abigail, and that is me. We have been in Chi Alpha Campus Ministry for about 10 years now. We started at LSU, like Josh said, um, and for the last eight years, we've been at UVA, just an hour away over the mountain in Charlottesville. Um, even though I come from Charlottesville, I'm not of Charlottesville, so you know, let's just kind of leave that at that. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, along our time in campus ministry, uh, the Lord really kind of changed our lives as we served on short-term mission trips abroad to Spain. And so after a series of, of many years of traveling, we also were weighing this dream that we felt that God was giving us um, about Spain. And that is where our family is headed, um, God willing, this September. We are also, I also feel like a fourth year wrapping up my last year in Chi Alpha, just three more weeks, and um, then my time is done. So let's talk about 
Spain. Um, what do you think about when you think about Spain? Perhaps images of beautiful, lush landscapes come to mind. Places like olive and grape vineyards to the south. It's very pretty, isn't it? Or maybe even breathtaking coastlines to the north. Maybe you think about refreshing beaches by the Mediterranean. And there's also even arid lands where time seems to just slow for a bit. Maybe you think about medieval castles, palaces, and churches that function as tourist attractions and museums for many internationals and locals. Or perhaps you think about people, um, people who are on the cutting edge of all the latest trends, a society that is in touch with culture and the arts, affluent and trendy, artsy, seemingly um, lacking for nothing. However, what's difficult for us as Christian Americans to understand are the depths of lostness in Spain. And in order to do so, we must take a closer look at what is going on beneath the surface here. A place where the seed of the gospel was first planted and thrived has now become a spiritual wasteland. And churches that were one day long ago filled with life are now just monuments to a bygone era and any other functional space for people to use. And speaking of people, people who seemingly are lacking for nothing are actually living a life of spiritual poverty, searching for answers and things that can't ever truly satisfy. So we ask, who will tell them about Christ? Now I want you to imagine something with me. You are walking down a, an average street in Spain, and you see many types of people around here, young, old, individuals, groups. The reality in Spain is that each and every one of these people that you look at have most likely never heard the gospel proclaimed. And every church they walk by on that walk is either a museum or an empty, cold, uninviting place when you encounter the apathetic soil in their hearts where the seeds of the gospel are brought, then you've begun to scratch the surface of spiritual lostness in Spain. So a question that my family and I have asked is, what can possibly be done? In a place where spiritual poverty isn't as evident as material poverty, extreme illness, or other societal dysfunctions, what can possibly be done? And so tonight, I have an answer that I'd like to propose to you for this problem or this issue at hand. And it is simply this, lose yourself. Two simple words that describe, I think, the state of what I think the Lord's calling us to do here. And tonight, as I, as I speak, I want to highlight the need of some of the least reached peoples of the world particularly the secular people of Spain and the secular peoples of Europe. I'd like to, and I'd like to do that by highlighting three aspects of our lives that we must lose for the sake of the gospel to take hold. In whatever context we are, whether it's here at JMU, back home, wherever the Lord's sending you in the marketplace, or even in missions, particularly in missions, and so since you guys have been in a sermon series in Acts, I'm going to go ahead and jump in to Acts and share about this instance that we see in Scripture 
and hopefully be able to give you guys a glimpse of the missional heart of God through this scripture. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. By the way, we have a table of stuff back there. Um, Feel free to take a prayer card, pray for us. We also are giving away a book. Um, This book has been highly, uh, it's called I Once Was Lost. It has been highly instrumental uh, in our lives and our team uses it on the mission field as well. Um, But it also, it's actually was written by campus pastors, so very much applicable to your life here. I want to give this book to one of you, but you have to sign up um, over there and scan the QR code to sign up for Lose Yourself Stories, which is a newsletter that our movement puts out about uh, things that are happening in the mission field in Europe. So see us back there. If you like what you hear, you know, come back for more. If you don't like, hey, I won't ever know. So you can feel free to give your complaints to Josh Moran. All right, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. This is a story about Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia. Let us read. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this vision, we got ready and at once once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what we see here. This uh, instance occurs during, during Paul's second missionary journey. If you're aware with a little bit of church history, Paul had two main missionary journeys, and this is somewhere in the middle of this missionary journey. His second missionary journey basically started by him and his companions saying, hey guys, let's go back and see what happened to all those churches we planted when we did our first missionary trip. Cool, let's go. So they go and they find themselves, along the way they pick up Timothy and a few other people and they end up here in Troas where they um, have this um, situation where that we just read this is also if you notice this is also where luke the author of the gospel of luke and acts enters into the picture you can even see from this portion that we just read that it goes from third person to first person because luke the author of acts is actually now part of the story so he begins we begin to see we did this we went here we talked with these people and and we and so it's really cool that we see Luke joining the journey of Paul and then we note something interesting we note that sometimes the Spirit of God actually leads by hindrance even when we think what we need to do is a good thing like preaching like the preaching of the word to the nations the Spirit leads by hindrance sometimes a closed door is actually God the Lord leading us or guiding us. And this is where I want to start. The first thing I want to share with you guys is a challenge to lose your assumptions about how you think your life needs to be. Lose your assumptions. It's time to let go of what we think our lives should be and truly embrace the life and the call that God is trying to 
writes in and through us. As we read above, sometimes we make plans and the Spirit of God flips the script on us, right? In verse 7, we notice that Paul and his companions tried to enter Bithynia. They were trying to do the whole Asia circuit. And then we see that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, we're not entirely sure how the Spirit of God just stopped them from entering or going on as planned, but we know that um, the Spirit did it. So it might have been through a word of prophecy that Paul got, or maybe just like this inner sense of his um, own discerning of the Spirit, or maybe even conventional wisdom that the Spirit just stopped them from moving on where they thought they were going. Either way, the point is that Paul had to lose his assumptions about how his life was going to be along, and along this missionary journey that he was on. And again, the Spirit closed the door on Paul and his companions in order to show them the way. Um, our campus director at UVA, Pete said, I love this quote that he said about this passage. He said, will we embrace closed doors with the same faith that we embrace open doors? I thought that was really challenging um, and so apt in this situation here. We embrace closed doors with the same faith that we embrace open doors. So let me tell you a little bit about my story so you can know why I'm so messed up. Um, I was actually born in the tiny Central American country of Honduras. I got one fellow compatriot over here. Hey, there we go. If you didn't know, here we go. It's not everywhere I go where I find a fellow compatriot from Honduras. So amen, amen. We vibe very differently. So... Um, <laughs> My family and I moved to New Orleans when I was about three and a half. I actually didn't speak English. English is actually my second language. And um, from the moment that my family and I stepped onto this U.S. soil, our life revolved around the pursuit of the American dream. And so by the time I got to LSU, that's what I was looking for, right? I came to campus with all my dreams, my hopes, and even also all the unfulfilled expectations of my family that was still in pursuit of the American dream, I wasn't looking for God. Even though I had considered myself a Christian, I kind of felt like it was time to put that side of my life on pause. And so I didn't go to a mug party. I didn't go to a semi-formal. I didn't go to, you know, I was looking for something else. It was in that first weekend of college that I tried alcohol for the first time. I went to a bunch of different parties, met a whole bunch of other people that were caught up in the same cycle of life that I thought was the college life, right? And to be honest, it felt empty and lackluster. If that's all that it was, like, man, the next morning felt pretty sucky, right? And it was, among, it was in, in the midst of this time that I actually got invited to my first Chi Alpha event. They, I had these two high school friends they are like, hey, you're Hispanic. You might like this event. It's called Fiesta Friday. <laughs> and because I wasn't woke enough when I was a hungry freshman, I said, all right, bet. Except I didn't say bet because bet wasn't a thing back in 2008. So, you know, but I said, yeah, why not? I'm Christian and you're right. I do like food. So game on. Let's go. And when I got there, two amazing things happened. Number one, I actually made someone believe I was a raging alcoholic. Just because. 
Just because I was being stupid and immature and I thought it'd be funny, and because I like to hide my emotions behind comedic relief, I had to make somebody believe something so outlandish about myself to feel good about myself. And um, turns out, years and years later, this person and her husband are actually now the campus directors at LSU and my friend Allie now she tells me that she went back after meeting me that night and was fervently praying to the Lord Lord please have breakthrough in his life you can do it release him from the bondage of alcoholism and meanwhile I hated alcohol I didn't like I didn't even like even though I tried it and whatever like I just it wasn't my thing you know but somehow like I guess her prayers had an effect you know because here I am now years later so they're dear friends now but we laugh about that the second thing amazing thing that happened is that I had realized that I met Kai Alphans on my first day of class or of school like I showed up to my dorm pulled up and this dude with luscious locks comes up and he's like hey man um do you need some help unloading and I was like no nah, man I'm cool so because I was prideful and immature and whatever too cool i proceeded to carry my mini fridge up three flights of stairs <laughs> to my dorm and here this guy was at fiesta friday not only him but also the girl who helped move in my roommate was there and i realized they're everywhere uh it, you know i and i share that to say that even though i was like running away from god i guess you can say or whatever um the spirit of god was still directing me you know, the Spirit of God was still pursuing me and, and surrounding me, uh, even though I was trying to run away. His love was never too far from me. And you know what? In my Chi Alpha group, I found a community, like many of you have probably found. My life was changed by men like JC, this guy who approached me in the parking lot that day. He is still my friend to this day. Um, and, and people like Jonathan, who is now the campus director at LSU, like they just pursued me. They discipled me and they challenged my, my superficial view of Christianity. And, and through their love and example, I learned how to live differently. And I found a purpose to live for as well. I realized that as God was transforming me from within, he began doing his work through me. And, you know, when I decided to own my faith for the first time in my life, I started to learn what it meant to live my faith out. I wanted others to know that there was another way. I wanted others to know that they didn't just have to be bound to the same patterns of the world, that there was a different way. And I learned something life-changing through Christians at Chi Alpha at LSU, that happiness was not only predicated on achieving the American dream. I discovered a new excitement, a new adventure uh, to live for especially my Christian identity, and that's to make him known. Um, I realized how God had a dream for my life that I hadn't ever really even asked for or processed or even thought about. And when I started asking God about this dream, I began to realize how fulfilling life would be following Jesus one step at a time. You see, I'd been so disillusioned with my Christian life before that I thought the American dream was the best thing to live for didn't realize how how much more fulfilling life in jesus could be and sometimes when we give up our lives to, to jesus when we walk this walk we can't always see exactly where his lead, where he's leading us kind of like paul in that moment like all right a vision of a macedonian man what next god didn't say what next 
He just got on a boat and went, right? We can't always see what the next step is, but we can trust God because he is a good God and he has good dreams for us. So when's the last time you stopped and considered what dreams God has for you? When's the last time you asked him what his plan for your life was? Or have you been too busy dreaming the American dream? The dream that everyone else around you is dreaming. The dream that everyone else says you need to be dreaming. When's the last time you truly considered God's dream? You see, my story is simply this. I'm, I'm an American. Uh, sorry, I'm, I am an American now, but I'm a confused American because I'm, I am just an immigrant kid who came to this nation in search of the American dream. And now I'm leaving this nation in search of God's dream. What will you say about your dreams? Just think about that. It's time to let go of our assumptions about how we think our lives should be and truly embrace this story that God is writing in and through us. You might be surprised. The next thing I want to challenge you to is to lose your expectations about missions. Let's talk about this. So let's talk about this Macedonian man. Um, I have a little map here um, to show you guys so you know I'm not making this stuff up. They are led to the province of Macedonia, which includes, so this is Troas right here. They have been traveling all throughout Asia. They get here, Paul has a dream, and he says, and Macedonia, okay. So here is Macedonia, the province of Macedonia. It includes the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Um, anytime you hear those cities in Acts, that's the province of Macedonia. They are the, the modern day territories of Greece and the countries directly north of Greece, which include Albania, Bulgaria, North Macedonia, and a little sliver of Turkey, because Turkey's weird like that. And so we know from Scripture that, as we read here, that Macedonia wasn't even on Paul's map. All right, he wanted to get, he got there, he wanted to go down south, back into Asia. It wasn't even on his map. And I'm struck by the plea of this Macedonian man in Paul's vision, who says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Help us. It took a wholly inspired vision for Paul to even see this place as a mission field. You know, I believe that this line helps us to understand something crucial about missions, that... Missions exist because there are places of the world where there is no gospel access. And the hearts of people are crying out, help us, come here, help us. And you know what, friends, sometimes I think that we have idealized uh, this idealized vision of what missions is. I want you to track with me for a moment here because I can definitely say that I fell into this camp a lot previously. Most of us think about missions as something far away. We picture the exotic faces and places of our world. We equate lostness with poverty or the extraneous. We picture ourselves as Westerners being welcomed into a different culture because, well, we think we're special. We think missions has to look like something out of a National Geographic magazine 
And don't get me wrong, sometimes missions will take us to these places. Yet these things have little to do with gospel access. And it's our assumptions about missions and gospel access that keep us from seeing the tremendous need for people like the secular people of Spain and the secular people of Europe to come to know Jesus. So let me tell you about Spain then. My wife and I are going to serve in a city called Granada, Spain. Spain, like the rest of Europe, is filled with people without a church willing to take up its apostolic obligation to make disciples and evangelize. In Granada, Spain, the most well-known church is but a museum that idolizes the dead Catholic kings of Spain. You pay your two euros, you go and you pay homage to the dead kings in the tomb. And yet the king of kings goes without being worshipped. And that is the most well-known church in Spain, in Granada, Spain. Sometimes in Europe, we can't see past the cathedrals to see it as a mission field. It's filled with people who in their lifetime will never have a family member, a schoolmate, a, a work, a co-worker, a neighbor who was a born-again Christian or who could even tell them what the gospel is. They don't know somebody who knows someone who knows the gospel. Their hearts are crying out, help us. And yet because they don't fit our expectations of missions, they go on without access. What will it take for our eyes to be opened to see the mission field before us, friends? What will it take? Will we respond to exotic photos or gospel realities? In a place, in a region of the world where 2% of the population have a personal relationship with Jesus, we need to plant more campus ministries like Chi Alpha. We need to plant more communities of faith like churches in cities and villages and places all around. More than ever before, we must shake off our, our way of seeing missions as Western world to the exotic world so that the gospel will bear fruit. We must shake off our way of seeing missions to embrace the true adventure that God has for us. And that's the last thing I want to share with you guys. It's really an invitation. And it's simply this, lose yourself in adventure. I want to talk about the impact of Paul's work in Macedonia. It is here in Macedonia that the gospel began spreading to the Western world. It is here in Macedonia where we see the first known missionary excursion into Europe. We see, if you keep reading on in, in, in chapter 16, you see the conversion of such a, a powerful church leader like Lydia. We see how the, the hand of God begins to move in this region of the world through miracles, through pain and suffering as well, trials and tribulation, but how the church is planted. And because the church was planted, we have books of the Bible like Philippians and Thessalonians and so much more other rich church tradition that we benefit from. You know, I think that 
God is constantly inviting us into his story like he did Paul through this vision. And so maybe we might wonder, okay, well, what's God's invitation like? Well, we may think it's got to be a dream like it was for Paul. This huge mystical experience, right, where we hear the audible voice of God saying, Go ye henceforth. Why does he always speak in the King James Version, by the way? <laughs> Go ye henceforth now and do with my will. Right? <laughs> but if we keep reading in chapter 16, like, you'll find out why God had to make it so obvious to Paul and his companions because it didn't get easy. It didn't get easy in Macedonia. They experienced a lot of trials, tribulations, um, they, violence even, right? And so the point here, I think, and this might be, I don't know, if you get a dream like that, you better pray hard because what's getting ready to, what you're getting ready to face is going to be uh, pretty, pretty tough, right? Maybe that's not the case, but don't worry. Don't be scared if God gives you a dream. That's pretty cool, all right? Or sometimes, you know, the call of God often feels like a stirring in our heart to do something about a situation that you might be uniquely equipped, equipped for, right? It might just be as simple as that. A stirring in your heart to do something about a situation that you might be uniquely equipped for. Or in other words, yeah, just conventional wisdom that the Lord says, hey, do something about it because you can. For us, the call to Spain just started by, you know, for, well, for me, just saying yes to God when I was figuratively in those same seats that you were. Just, you know, saying, all right, God, I want to live out my faith for you. I want to own my faith. For me, it continued on to saying yes to doing a Chi Alpha internship. It then continued on for me making a crazy decision and moving from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Charlottesville, Virginia without adequate uh, socks or cold gear or boots or whatever it meant for us saying yes to leading a spring break trip to spain and then it just made sense for us from then on we didn't need a big burning bush for us to know what god was leading us to it just made a lot of sense in that moment it's uh, i really appreciate this term that eugene peterson coined that it was a long, it was just a long obedience in the same direction. And you know what? I believe that tonight he's calling some of you to a particular obedience in a particular direction. Maybe even be, it might even be Europe. For some of us still exploring who Christ is, I think that invitation is simply this, hey, Come over here. Tell me what's on your heart. Let me show you what's on my heart. This invitation that Jesus simply shares with us to just draw close to him, to just let us cast our burdens onto him. Scripture says that his yoke is light. Come all to, come all to me who are weary and brokenhearted, and I will give you rest. And I find that along that journey of receiving rest in Jesus, he gives us not just rest re rejuvenation for our souls but purpose for our souls and i believe that's the invitation he has for us 
that as we draw closer to his heart, we can rest assured that he will show us something different about ourselves and something different about the world, the way that he views the world. So, as I close, I want to ask you a simple question. I know I've asked many questions, but I want to ask you one last question. Who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? It is in the midst of miracles and traveling to and from cities that Jesus invites his disciples to complete abandonment in Mark 8. And he says the following line, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Yet, before he says this, he asks his disciples a simple question. Hey fam, who are people saying I am? What's the Twitter sphere saying about me? What are people TikToking about who I am? I need to know, I want to know, what do you think? So the disciples replied, Oh, well, Jesus, um, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others say you're one of the prophets that's come back again. And Jesus says, hold up, hold up. All right. Who do you say that I am? It is in this moment that Peter says, you are the Messiah. A word that means the promised deliverer of God's people, the restorer of God's kingdom, the true one and only chosen son of God. You are the Messiah, Jesus. And so Jesus says, okay, if you believe that that's who I am, then lose your life for my sake in the gospel because you will find it as you lose yourself. You will find your life. Why, why would Jesus ask his disciples this? You know, I think it's because he needs, he needs us to know who he is if we're, if we're to live for him, right? Who would partner to work with someone they don't fully trust? How can we share a message if we don't trust the author? How can you dwell in a house if you don't trust the architect who built it, right? We can go on, on, and on, and on. The point is... Who do you say Jesus is? And I want to turn back that question to you. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he truly everything to you or just a side hustle that you like to quote every now and then? Put a nice little Bible verse on your Instagram profile and wear a nice t-shirt every now and then. Or are you willing to let go of everything else to embrace the adventure that Jesus is calling you on because if Jesus truly is, is who he said he is then friends that changes everything that changes everything we cannot live the same way anymore we cannot dream the same dreams anymore we cannot act as if everything is the same because it's not Jesus changes everything and he's calling us to this adventure with him. I want to invite the worship team to come up as I close. Thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate you taking time to ponder these questions. You know, I imagine that as Paul and his companions 
traveled throughout you know this missionary journey that you know we don't have to imagine we actually have it in scripture that they encountered a lot of amazing surprises along the way miracles deep friendships they saw corners of the world they never thought they would they found communities in places they never thought they would and as you can continue seeing in Acts 16 they encountered quite a few roadblocks along the way as well and I'm sure that at times it was way tougher than even they could have imagined the work would be they were far from home they were hungry they were without their normal comforts mocked and ridiculed stone driven out of town sounds like your campus pastors right but one thing i bet they never longed for again and it's simply this their old expectations for what they thought their lives would be in christ and his mission we find the most amazing adventure we can imagine he doesn't just promise that everything's going to go our way right sometimes he'll close doors Sometimes he'll open doors. But Jesus promises his presence throughout this adventure. It's our guarantee. I believe that he desires to unleash new gifts and resurrect old ones in our lives. I want to encourage you not to settle for safe, to try to manage your risk and your relationship with Christ. No, lose yourself for the sake of the gospel. Step out and find him. Find the people around you that are crying out, help us, help us. Will you share the amazing adventure of Christ with them? Find life and purpose in him. Find a mission and calling that is greater than you and be part of his kingdom. And I fully believe that for some of you, that will lead you to the mission field. To sacrifice greatly so that people like, um, Spanish people and the secular peoples of Europe would get to know who Jesus is. And some of you, it'll, it'll lead to sacrificing greatly so that people like my wife and I can go to a spiritual desert like Spain and tell people about the good news of Jesus. So I want you again, I want to invite you again to consider losing yourself in this adventure. Would you stand with me? As we respond, I, want, I just want to say, respond in two ways. Number one, maybe some of you have been holding on to your expectations of what your life needs to be. Tonight, I want to invite you to let go of that and ask God, Lord, what are you dreaming for my life? What is it? And be willing to let go of what you thought your life was going to be like. And for some of us in this room, I want to just invite you to take that next step closer to Jesus. I want to make that same invitation tonight to draw closer to his feet, to maybe just consider something from his perspective. Say yes to him in a new way that you haven't. I just want us to take some time and just ponder these realities and these questions in Jesus. Are we good with that? I'm going to pray for us and want to enter into a time of worship. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here at JMU Chi Alpha. Lord, for the way that you're establishing your kingdom through these men and women. Lord, I believe, Jesus, that you will raise them up, Lord, to lose themselves, God, for your sake and your kingdom's cause, God. 
I trust and I believe in faith, Lord, that there will be people on this campus, in this city, in this state, and around the world who will come to know Jesus because people in this room tonight said yes to you, God. So, Father, whatever it is, Lord, that we need to let go of, that we would do that tonight, God, and whatever ways that we need to draw closer to you tonight, that we would do that, Jesus. Help us, Lord, because we are weak, Lord, and the road sometimes is hard and tough, and we're tempted to see closed doors, Lord, as, as hindrances and, and, and a block, Lord. But you are using those things to guide us, Lord. Help us to have faith in what you're doing along this way, Lord. We just want to be faithful to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the way. Lord, we need you and we love you. And we offer this time of worship back to you, Jesus. Amen and amen.